0: Right, if you flip your bulletins over, you will notice on the front. What do you notice on the front? There are words missing. Why are there words missing? Well, that's because it was Turkey Day. We all have a lot of tryptophan in our system and we didn't get much of a much of a football game to keep us awake, so some of us might be sleepy, so it's so we have some notes to take. You should have all received a pen. If you don't have a pen, uh, please put your hand up, and we'll get one of the ushers to give you a pen. So some of you type A people are like, all oh, right, I get to fill out something now. This is great. That, that's me. I, I kind of like that. Other people are like, yeah, right. I'm not doing that. I'm, I came here to sleep, and I'm going to sleep. But just so you know, so I will point out these things. We can write them down, and you can keep notes. Now, today's sermon is about why God is good. So uh, whenever we talk about... Um, uh, one of us preaching, myself preaching, Pastor Steve and I sit down and then we decide what it's going to be on. So it's on God is good, right? God is good. And the first thing I do is I start praying. I say, God, please, please, God, put things in my life, put experiences, put people, put subjects, put books, put anything you can in my hands so that your words will speak through me because I am the most ordinary of people. Believe me, I am. And I just want to be used in that way. So the day after uh, I found myself at the library, uh, we work uh, Sunday through Thursday, so I have Fridays off. So I went to the library with my beautiful wife, Sarah, and our youngest daughter, Lily, who's four. And uh, I'm not a scholar. I'm in no way a scholar. Don't take that to mean, oh, we're going to the library, you know, I'm a, I'm a genuine bookworm. I just, as Pastor Steve points out, often I am the eldest of the, uh, the staff here. And I need to keep my mind engaged and my mind sharp, so I want to constantly be learning, constantly be learning, because it's so easy to just fall into this track where you don't want to learn anymore, you just kind of kind of melt away. So I go to the library, and we walk in, and again, that prayer's in my mind, just put something in my hand, put something in my hand, Lord, um, to speak your words. So I go over to the bookshelf, where it has, you know, the leadership and spiritual books, and I reach, and do you ever get this, this situation where sometimes you just reassociate words, and you put things, so I see this book, I'm like, oh, this is exactly what I need, and I grab the book off the shelf, and this is the book, and uh, that's not going to help me very much with God is good, right? I mean, I look at it, I'm like, really? This is, this is what was in my hand, and uh, it kind of threw me back. I'm like, eh, it's coincidence. Incidentally, I did read the book, or most of it, or I read chapter summaries of some of it, um, and It's an interesting book. It's really sad, the person who wrote it. And when you read about his life, you can understand why he chose that. You can take down that slide now. You'll understand why he chose it, um, that title, and everything about it, and why he's so uh, angry with God. But all right, I write it off. You know, let's go on our day. Now that night I had something, some planned. I have some buddies, and we get together every now and again. I mean, some of these guys, you have anybody have like really old friends? I'm talking like old friends. Well, this some of my friends, we get together. They go back to seventh grade. My best friend, he goes back to seventh grade. So every now and again, we get together once, maybe twice a year. Sometimes we go to a Flyers game. We try to do something to just reconnect because you drift off. Everybody lives their own lives. We don't live real, real close to each other. Somewhat close. But we just have a night to, to reconnect. Now, keep in mind, we're not talking about the hangover experience like the movie. We're not talking about that. We're middle-aged. We know we're middle-aged. And we just like to get together because it's comfortable, you know? You have friends where it's comfortable. You can hang out and make jokes. So this year, we decided to go down to Philly. We were going to see a show at the Trocadero. And um, it, it, the band's not worth mentioning because... Uh, I don't want to endorse them. It, it, they're not a good band. But they take us back. They took us back to a time when we were teenage skate rats, you know, in middle school and, and in high school. And it kind of made us laugh. And it was just a way to take us back there. And before the show, I started talking with my one buddy. And he starts talking to me about just the pain and the, and, and the pain that he's taken on from God. And he was raised in a Christian house. And and he knew God at one point. Now, you know, he, his father was was diagnosed and has since passed of a terminal illness. And within a month, his father-in-law was also diagnosed with cancer. And he, he came to the feeling, and he was just talking to me, if God exists, how is he good? How is God good? Haven't we all been here? Have we all been here? I've been there. And And it came to me... Soon after that, that I realized, I'm like, man, God, you put some of this heavy stuff. You know, I would just want to get up here, and we're just going to rattle off some stuff about why God's good. And he put that on my heart, and he just said, Bob, you can stand up here in front of people and say, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. And I believe that. I believe it with all my heart. But why? Why do you think that? Now, see, here's what I don't want you to think. I don't want it to come across at any point, any time during this this sermon at any time at any of our locations that I'm saying what happened to you was good that's good for you turn it into good it's all good it's all fine it's all dandy because there's things that have happened to us there's things that happened to you there's things that happen to me they will never be good they will never be good the outcome can be they can be turned to something good but they're never inherently good we will never look back and say thank god that happened thank god so I don't want you to hear that at any time. But if we're saying that God is good, I think so much of, our, of what comes down to about saying God is good is our definition of good. See, I think our view of God's goodness often comes down to one thing, and that is our definition of good. So what does good mean? What is good? And in knowing that, how can we say, you know, God is good or God isn't good? So where do you go when you want a definition? What do you open up? What do you turn to? You know, dictionary. That's right. You open up the dictionary. Dictionary has the answer to everything, right? Well, I open up the dictionary to good. And the English dictionary to good says that God would be everything from high quality to healthy to well-behaved. I don't know about you, but it's weird to think of God as well-behaved. It just doesn't, so it doesn't connect. So good in our English sense it's so wide-ranging that just by looking at the word alone isn't going to do much so. You know, I'm a pastor, so what do pastors do? You, you open the Bible. That's just what you do, like the Geico commercials, you know, the guys that are, that are talking. It's just what you do, right? It's just what you do. So I opened the Bible, and the first book of the Bible, in the very beginning... There is goodness. Some of you are from church, you'll remember Genesis. Remember in Genesis 1, God created everything in six days, and the seventh day he rested. Well, at the end of the sixth day, he said, God saw, first Genesis, or Genesis 1, 31, God saw all that he made, and it was very good. So in the beginning, in the very beginning of time, there was good. There was good in the beginning of time. And here's something that kind of eluded me, and then I had to back up a little bit. See, in Genesis 1... God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light, and it was good. So in the very beginning, Genesis 1-3, God created something that was good. Now, when did man come about? That was like the sixth day. So on the first day, there was good. So what does that tell you about goodness? It has nothing to do with our definition. It didn't need mankind. It didn't need you. It didn't need me. It didn't need any of us to be defined. There was good before us. There was good before us. Now... The Old Testament word for goodness doesn't help us in our definition because it's a word, tobe. And what tobe means is exactly what our English word for good means. It means everything. So there's nothing that you can inherently get from the word goodness there. The only thing we can gather is that it was there in the beginning. It existed before man. And then there's one other thing that the Old Testament gives us, and I think it's important. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. So however God was... It says, I, the Lord, do not change. So however he was, he still is. He's unchanging. So we're gradually getting closer to definition, right? We're gradually getting there. So now we have to look at God, and the New Testament was in Greek. And Greek had all different kinds of words for good. And the one that's often used for God is agathos. Now, we have to understand what agathos means. See, it is defined as intrinsically good, good in nature, good whether it be seen to be or not. Good in nature, good whether it be seen to be or not. So Matthew seven, eighteen: A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So if the creation was deemed at the beginning and there was a creator that created it, what does that tell us if the creation was good? There was a good creator. So God was a good creator because he, there can't be bad fruit. And Romans eight twenty eight says, And we know that in all things God works, for the good of those who love him, who can be called according to his purposes. So from this passage, we can gather that all things God does are for the good according to his purposes, okay? We all staying together. It sounds like we're going in circles and circles. We're going to get our definition here real soon. So stick with me here. This is where we, it gets a, a little tricky. So the good that God works in all things is according to his purpose, which will be according to his nature, which is the good that existed at the beginning of time and is unchanging. So let's define good now. Let's define good as it, as it pertains to God. God's goodness is something intrinsically beneficial that is unchanging over time and independent of people's perceptions. Really, really wordy. Really wordy. Here's what we got to take away from it. Here's what we got to take away. You, I, what we feel, we're, we're not involved in this, in this view of good. See, our perception, our subjectivity, our opinions, our thoughts, we don't matter in the definition of good. That's not to say that we don't matter to God. It's not to say it. But here's, see, neither you or I controls, control the definition of good. Our circumstances don't change God's goodness. If you take everything back to the fork in the road where so many of us diverge, you come to a fork in the road and you're gonna have one of two ways to go. You're gonna look at there was a time where there was absolute randomness and for some reason, some crazy thing happened where spontaneity happened and everything became not random, ordered, and something happened along an evolutionary chain that led to you and I sitting here today. That's one path, that's one path. Or you're gonna believe that there was a creator, a creator who had order, who created everything to the good that he saw. And we are here today from that path. And if we believe in a creator, if we believe in a creator, if you believe in a creator, there's one thing that is inherent and that we have to understand and we have to accept is that he is good. So. Now that we know our definition of good and what we're looking at for good, why is God good? And this, is, this isn't going to be easy to do in four points in 15 minutes, but you know what we're going to do? We're, we're going to make a run at it. So let's make a run at it. The first reason why God is good, God is perpetual. God is perpetual. Psalms 90, before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Look. We already said that God is unchanging. We use that in our definition. So why do I keep bringing this up? Why do I keep bringing this up? Because we have to understand this. We have to understand that God's ability to never change. From the beginning to the end, he is the same. We have to understand this. See, we live in a world where version 1.0 isn't as good as version 2.0. And version 2.0 stinks in comparison to version 3.0, right? Change is good. We see it time and time again. Technology, everything. Change is good. Change is good. Change is good. Change is good. Right? So why is the unchanging nature of God so good if we think that it's good for everything? My wife and I, one of the hardest things that that it takes when, when there's two parents is making standards for your children, Like, you know, so that kids don't go from mom to dad and get different answers. It's one of the hardest things. And what happens is, if we're not on the same page, what happens with your kids is they try to perform to please their parents. And if they can never get the same pleasure, if they can never get the same support, they can never get the same understanding from all of their parents, what happens? What would happen to you if you can't do anything? You can't do anything to get things right. You get confused. You give up. You become apathetic to the cause. You become apathetic to everything. Why would you keep doing things, Limerick? Why would you keep doing things, Plymouth Meaning You can never satisfy anyone. See, this is, this is where it's so unfortunate about God's word. See, unfortunately, man has added a lot of things to God's words, and they've confused his children to the point that they've become apathetic, and they've given up. See... If you're here today and that's where you've been and you've heard things and they don't add up and they don't add up and they don't add up and things aren't adding up, chances are you've heard something. You've incorporated something in that's not the word of God because the word of God adds up because it's good. And if that's you, I'm so glad that you're here. Here's what you have to understand. Here is if there's nothing else. This is what you have to understand. See yesterday, today and tomorrow. First John 4 16 is true. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us, God is love. See, no matter what this world brings to your doorstep, no matter what happens, no matter how anything changes, no matter what goes on, God is love never stops applying to you. It's perpetual from the beginning of time till the end of time, God is love. See, regardless of how people around you feel, regardless of how we have to change repeatedly to satisfy those around us and to change, you know, we don't want to be unfriended on Facebook, right? We don't want any of that stuff. Friends, we have a stable God who's loved us from the beginning of time. You don't have to do anything. He is love. He has loved you from the beginning. He'll love you now, and he'll love you to the end. See, he is is a stable God. He perpetually loves his children, and that... That is good. Number two, God is presence. God is presence. Now this is, if any of you have, a, have any theological past, you, you've often heard this term for God, omnipresence. Omni meaning all. Maybe if you had a Dodge Omni, you could relate to this because it was everything to every person that a car could ever be, right? Anybody have a Dodge Omni? No? If you knew what a Dodge Omni was, it was not. It was a piece of junk. But anyway, no offense to you. And then presence meaning existing or being, and funny enough, a lot of us when we first got associated with this, and embarrassingly, the way that I think I've introduced my children into the presence is, you ever been asked when you were a kid, or say this to your kids, you want them to go do something, and you kind of trust them, you kind of trust them to do the right thing, but you're not 100% sure, you just don't feel, so what do you say, or what have you been told? God's watching you do the right thing, okay? Then, right? Right? Have you said that? At, let's see hands. Yeah, see? You always you say that. Well, what it does, and, and what I never thought was, it, it leads to this thought that God's just sitting there. He's just waiting to squash you. He's just waiting there to write it down. And from a young age, so many of us, if we were brought up in a, in a Christian home or if we were brought up knowing God, even people who don't know God or don't accept God, they'll still say it just to put fear in you, right? Because if there's something ominous around you, you're not you're gonna do the right thing, right? Well Things kind of changed when I read uh, Psalms 139. Psalms 139.7 Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hands will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. How comforting is that thought? See... God's hand isn't there. He's not there with a clipboard taking notes, ready to smite you down, ready to dole out punishment. See, no matter what we've ever done, and no matter what we ever do, no matter what those that you love have ever done, no matter what those that you love will ever do, no matter what, we can never create an area where God's presence doesn't fill it. It's like air. Open up a box, air's in there. Open up this, air's in there. So we can dig ourselves the deepest hole in our lives, we can dig ourselves into the deepest, darkest place, and God's presence is there. Church, we have never, ever been alone. Ever. So, at three in the morning when you wake up, when I wake up, and the weight of this world just comes collapsing on, and we think the deepest of thoughts, and we start getting all of these things in our heads, and we just feel so alone. We feel so alone. We're not. We're never alone. You've never, ever been alone. See, Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You've never been alone. You've never been outside of God's presence. And it has nothing to do with him wanting to correct you. It has everything to do with him loving you. Everything. See, his love is that of a father who surrounds their children. I don't know about you, but I protect my kids with anything. And when they're not with me, I want them to feel that I'm there. I want them to have that, that, that feeling that their father's there, and that's what he wants. We don't have a God of anger. God is love. He is love. Number three, generosity. If you're in church today and you don't, you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with God, I, I want you to know one thing. I, all I want you to know is John three sixteen, and then the rest of this is going to be for us church people. So John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave everything; He had it planned from the beginning of time, and He has that gift for you. For those of us that are from church or that know God, here is what we we have to know. We're approaching a season right now where everybody throws around the word generosity like it's a uh, like everybody's got it, like, hey, uh, I'm going to write a check here. Somebody pulls at your heartstrings, you throw a check here, you throw something there. You know, I want to serve a soup kitchen. All these ads are up, and it's all good. Don't don't leave here thinking I'm saying all the charitable stuff is bad. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying let's put it in the place of where it is. It's not generosity. It's not generosity. See, generosity, people... You, myself, it's not in our nature. It has nothing to do with our nature. And we're going to go into that uh, about why that is. But it is in God's. It is in God's nature. See, people, we need to learn to become generous. And here's how I know that it's not in our nature. Anybody, who has kids? Who has kids in this place? Okay, or who has been a kid? Uh, that's everybody's hands. Everybody's hands should be up. Okay, here's what I know. Your mother probably went through extreme... Duress in bringing you into this world or if you've had children you've been through extreme duress coming into this world And it took two years for you to develop words to say anything and the first words to come out of your mouth were not Thank you. They were not. Thank you for doing this to me They weren't we had to learn what our parents do for they had to we had to learn How to be generous how to be appreciative how to recognize that see that's not the way it is with God Because it is in his nature. And I think oftentimes we throw around the term generous because we don't understand what generous is. So we're going to try to define generous and it's going to be one of those horrible definitions like in the beginning. But stick with me, stick with me, we'll get through it. See, this is what generosity is not. Generosity is not an action. It's not a one-time action. It's not something that you just throw out there. It's something you are. It's a nature. It's a nature of something. See, it's not spontaneous. It doesn't occur out of the blue. It doesn't just, boom, it happens. All of a sudden, we wake up one morning. For us, we don't just wake up one morning and become generous. It's something that we have to train ourselves to do repeatedly. You have to constantly, constantly say no to what you want and to what others need. See, it's not something that just pops up and and we know from from what we do. We have to plan. We have to plan it so often. And see, here's where God is generous. He had a plan since the beginning of the world. To where we are today. He had a plan for a great savior known as Jesus Christ. That he had planned all the time. The Old Testament you read through it. The Old Testament is preparing everybody's hearts to understand. You need a savior. You people are broken. You have things within you. You have sin. You need a savior. That's what the Old Testament does. And then the New Testament says here's your savior. Here is your savior. This is why he's here. Spread the word to others. See generosity is also not affected by how much or how little. Of anything that anyone has. See, poor people are poor. Wealthy people are wealthy. And a wealthy person can be generous. And a poor person cannot be generous. And vice versa and all the way around. A generous, this is what generosity is. A generous person is one thing. They are generous. Understand, it doesn't matter how much of anything you have. A generous person, a generous heart, a generous nature is always generous. And see, regardless of our resources, generosity is forever doing one thing. It's assessing the needs, regardless of what we have. We're, it's assessing the needs of what other people need. It's not, regardless of what we have. See, and then the last thing, generosity is not a certain amount of anything. There's not a number of zeros you can put at the end of the check to be generous. There's not a a number of hours you can serve to be generous. See, what matters is, is the sacrifice of the gift. It's always the sacrifice of the gift. So God's goodness, just to, just to put it into a definition, God's goodness is a nature of being that involves preplanned and sacrificial actions so that the greatest benefit can be given to others so their needs are attended. See, here's what I know of God's generosity. God's acts of generosity alone show his goodness. Do our actions alone show that we follow him? See, he preplanned for us to be here to children that would walk away from him and then he he pre-planned a savior that we could all have riding back on the train our fourth point Riding back on the train carrying the weight of my buddy and where he is in his life i just you just ask god you just say god speak to me make sense of this to me and uh Again, I'm a pastor, and that's what I am, so what do I do? I, I open up the Bible on my phone, and this passage came through, and it came through so clear. See, Jeremiah 18.1, and what we have to understand about Jeremiah is, Jeremiah was the prophet. Back in the old days, there was a person that was chosen by God. I'm going to speak to you. You tell all the people. See, all of Jeremiah's people had turned away from God. They actually, the enemies who ended up overthrowing them, they actually turned to them. They started worshiping their gods. They started doing everything for them, everything with them. And Jeremiah was given the vision to see all his people, everybody that he loved, either killed or deported. And he would live away from his temple, which had the presence of God, would be destroyed. So the very presence of God on the earth would be destroyed. And he carried this all around. And he carried this weight. And this is what God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 18.1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as he seemed best to him. Look, I know absolutely nothing about pottery. I know absolutely nothing. But I know a lot about YouTube. And I know I can watch pottery being made on YouTube. So I looked at YouTube. See, here's what I know. The clay is always in the center of the wheel. You always plop the clay right in the center of the wheel. It is always the center of focus of the potter. Always. It can't not be or it spins off. Two, I know this about it. In the old days, now we just flip a button. But in the old days, there was a lower wheel. And you would have to spin the wheel on the bottom. And the wheel around the top went... On the top, so that they could shape it. See, it, it's an intentional action by the potter. There is always an intentional action by the potter to create the pot out of the clay. And the other thing that you realize until it's done being shaped from the very beginning until the very end, the potter's hand never leaves the clay. It never leaves the clay. If we could all stand, bow our heads, and close our eyes. See, God's children are always the center of his attention. That's you, that's me. He is always active in our lives and intentionally shaping us, and his hands around us will always be there until completed. His hands won't ever leave us until we're completed. And here's where everybody gets tripped up. I shouldn't say everybody. Here's where so many of us get tripped up. What does the passage say about the pot? It is marred in his hands. See? It's marred in his hands. It's not marred by his hands. His hands didn't take the pot and shape it down. The pot was marred. The pot exists in a broken world that mars, and I don't know how you've been marred. I know sometimes we make a a choice to go towards evil, to go towards sin, because there's so much sin inside of us. I know some of it, so many times, none of us had any chance to make But here's what I know. We'll go back to Rome. He works for the good of all those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, you can either let the things that marred you in this world shape your future, or you can let the potter use them. Use them to shape you into something new. And if he shapes you into something new, what do we know about God? It will be good. It is good. See, there is a God in heaven who knitted us together. And I think we forget that there's a plan for each of us. And I think so many of us, we just want to jump out of the race. We want to jump out of the race. It's nowhere near being completed. We just don't see it. We just don't see the finish line so far away. We don't see it. God, where are you? And it's just so hard to see. Well, here's what I know. I know that he knew that this world would be broken. And he pre-planned. He pre-planned the good news, the gospel. See, what he did was, see, our sin separated us from God. He knew we would fall away. He planned from the beginning of time. Our sin would always separate us from him. So he took his one and only son. He sent him down. This is where Christianity differs. Our God came down to earth. He's, He's not too good. He doesn't sit up there with a red pen. His presence has always been here. And he sent his son, Jesus, to be our sin, to be up on that cross, to get crucified, Because he is a good God. So that we could live with him together in eternity. See, today you have the opportunity, friends, to accept his ultimate nature of generosity, his gift. Plymouth meeting Limerick here in Phoenixville. See, Romans tells us, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Friends, there's a perfect father in heaven. i don't know what's been done but i know he's got a plan and it involves his son jesus christ because in him jesus is the catalyst for change and if you don't have that in your life there is no hope of change because there is no hope in this world if you don't know jesus christ and you want to know him i just ask you now across all campuses with your campus pastors in front just raise your hand raise your hand here in phoenixville if you need a savior That's where it starts. That's where changing your life starts. It starts with Jesus. If you need a savior, just raise your hand. Don't let this pass you by. See, if you have breath in your lungs and a heartbeat in your chest, then God is not done with you. You're no one's here by accident. Nobody's here by accident. And I don't know, nobody knows what's been done to you except you, but I'll tell you right now, if you're broken, The only chance to be made new is by Jesus because this world offers nothing else. One last time. There's those of you who need need a Savior. You need Jesus. Just raise your hand now. Let let us know that we're praying with you, that our campus pastors are praying with you. Dear Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for you, Lord. For our friends that have decided to, to follow Jesus for the first time, Lord. We just pray along with them in support and say, Heavenly Father, we know that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. We're so grateful. We know we might be broken, but we know that you're not done with us. As long as there's life, you have the opportunity to change us, Lord. And we love you, Jesus. And for those of us that know you, Lord, that came in here knowing you, Lord, please, please don't let us get out of this race too early. Stay with us. Help us to see that there is a good God, regardless of what our circumstances say. You are from everlasting to everlasting. You will never leave or forsake us. You walk beside us. You fill every void. It's once been said there is a hole in every person's heart that can only be filled with the love of Jesus. And we know that, Lord. Fill our emptiness. Fill our brokenness. Shape us into something new. Shape us into what, what you want, Lord we know everything from your hands is good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right.